happy uh, post-Thanksgiving. We are now in a different season. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. You can clap or whoop. That's good. <laughs> so, um, first of all, my name is Donna Johnson, and I'm the associate pastor of care here at Mill City, and I've been here for a couple of years now, and uh, have really enjoyed my time here. So, um, thanks for coming out. Glad that you're here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Dr. John Dunn talked about how the Christian calendar begins with Advent. And this is the season we are in now. And Advent is always the fourth Sunday before Christmas. And it comes from, Advent comes from the Latin word meaning arrival or coming. And it means that this is the season of preparation for the celebration of Christ's birth, but also, also the anticipation of Christ's return. Now, I did not grow up knowing there was even a Christian calendar. I knew Christmas and I knew Easter. Maybe Pentecost because I grew up Pentecostal, but that was it. I surely didn't know that there was a, a time called ordinary time, which officially ended yesterday. Thank you. And I actually thought, John Dunn just made up that name, or, ordinary time. Um, but John Dunn doesn't make stuff up because he knows stuff. So in the past couple years, as we have celebrated the Christian calendar, and it's not just the academic calendar that I'm familiar with or the calendar from January to December, the Christian calendar, it has given me an appreciation of the rhythm of this, this season, the seasons and the focus. And it helps me to, to really deepen my relationship with Christ. So anyway, this entire year, we have been talking about the big God story and the different genres in the Bible. And I get to kick off Advent. I get to kick off the genre called prophecy. And the teaching team will mainly be preaching from the book of Isaiah and the foretelling of Christ. But there are so many scriptures in the Old Testament that foreshadow the coming of Christ in the New Testament, which occurs hundreds of years earlier as foretold by God's prophets. But when you think about the Bible, Jesus really covers end to end. From Genesis to Malachi, it talks about the foretelling of Jesus the Messiah, and there's about literally 300 prophecies just in the Old Testament. And then you've got the Gospels. Jesus is here. He has come. He is doing his work. And then from Acts to Revelation, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit as we await for Christ's coming again. So when I began to think about that, Revelation 22:13 made more sense to me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And as I've studied for this message and I was reminded by these prophecies that were given, 
It was all about God's timing. But you know what? In 2020, if somebody gave you a prophetic word, you would want it in about five minutes. Maybe the next day. But at the most, seven to ten days. Right? That's what we wait for packages, right? Seven to ten days, someone gives you a prophetic word, you want it like that. Because we just want what we want. We are so into instant gratification, we don't want to wait at all for anything. But God's prophecies, they took hundreds of years. And I want to share with you just a few. How many years do you think it was from the first prophecy of Jesus' birth to his actual birth? Anyone? Huh? Exactly. You must have been in the first service. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. How many years do you, were they in exile in Babylonia, in Babylon? Was, what? Close. 659. How many years did it take Abraham to wait for the promise of his son Isaac? from the time God told him to the time he actually had Isaac, or Sarah had Isaac. Well, you know what I mean. It was 25 years. Last one. How many years did it take for Herb and me to get married after meeting in 1982? <laughs> that is not in the Bible. But it was 17 years. Just saying. It's a long time. And if you want the fuller story, you can take us out to coffee. Okay, but the scripture in Peter, who wrote this to the early church in reference to God's timing, this is what it says, 1 Peter 3. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the, with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is not worried about time like we are because he sees the entire picture where we just see a frame at a time. So as I mentioned earlier, there are about 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the New and I'm only going to give you 10. I'm not going to give you all 300. And I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. First of all, that he would be born in Bethlehem, as in Micah. He would be born to a virgin in Isaiah. He would ride triumphantly into Jerusalem in Zechariah. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, also from Zechariah. He would be mocked. That's from Psalms. He would be pierced, also from Psalms. He was silent before his accusers. In Isaiah, none of his bones would be broken, comes from Numbers. He would die with the wicked and be buried with the rich, also from Isaiah. He would not stay buried, but rose from the dead, from Psalms. He would be sitting at the right hand of God, also from Psalms. I read an example of the probability of, of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies, and it was put like this. Take the state of Texas, 
fill it two feet deep with silver coins. Mark one coin and ask a blindfolded, blindfolded person to find that one coin. That's the likelihood. It's crazy to think that. But the fact that Jesus uh, fulfilled all 300 prophecies is amazing. We serve a covenant-keeping God. And the word testament in Latin means covenant. So our Bible is one long covenant. This is one long covenant, the old and the new covenant. And it has been said that the Bible is one long love letter showing God's care for his people. And God has promised his love and commitment to humanity over and over through this deep concept of covenant. The promises of God leading to the final covenant made through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we as humans, we break our covenant all the time. But God never breaks his. The story of God's covenant is one way, just one way that God speaks to us. And it has amazing things to say, to encourage us as we live our life together in community. And this covenant is an agreement that God will do what he says he's going to do. 300 prophecies were fulfilled. God does what he says he's going to do. So how do we wait with, in Advent with expectancy? First of all, we focus on the character of God, knowing that he can't lie. He can't. It's impossible. In the Old Testament culture, it was custom for the families to call their children by a name that meant something. Jesus, as you know, had many names in Scripture. He's called Messiah, Lion of Judah, Alpha and Omega, the Word, bright morning star, bread of life, light of the world, the vine, the shepherd, the redeemer, the rock, the refuge, king of kings, Emmanuel, anointed one, ancient of days. The consistency through which God shows himself is through his character, which is described in verse in Isaiah 6-9 and describes what God said hundreds of years before its actual fulfillment. So the people of Israel, you know the people of Israel, they expected one thing. They had their own idea. They wanted someone to overthrow the Roman government. They put God into this box of what they wanted, but they received something else. They received more than they could imagine. Isaiah 9:6 is what should they have is what they really should have expected. It's right there in scripture. His covenant promising us eternal life in his son. But before I get to Isaiah 9, I have to back up to Isaiah 7 to give you just some of the context. In verse uh, 10 through 14 it says, "Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask your Lord God for a sign." whether in the deepest depths to the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to a test. Then Isaiah said, 
Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you, will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Listen to this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So Ahaz, he's king over Judah, and he is scared. The scripture says he and his people were literally shaking in their boots because Aram and Ephraim had become allies and planned on going up against the people of Judah. But God tells him in Isaiah, God tells Isaiah in 7.4, he says, tell this to Ahaz. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of those two smoldering stubs of firewood. They're not going to do anything. They can't do anything. God is basically saying, chill out, like relax. It's not going to take place. It's not going to happen. But in verse 9, he says, but if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. What did Ahaz do? He decided not to stand, not to trust in God, but disobeyed and turned to Assyria for help. And as a result of his disobedience, the very one Ahaz sought to help were the very ones who brought devastation to Judah. Ahaz's, Ahaz's dependence was not on God, and he was persisted in his unbelief. Yet he was invited into asking God for a sign. So Ahaz had this self sense of self-sufficiency, which eventually leads him into darkness and despair and oppression under the Assyrian army. But out of the conquest, there comes hope. Thank you, Lord, that there is hope. So now getting to Isaiah 9, one of the 300 prophecies that were given it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Messiah will come as a child from the lineage of David, as prophesied, as rule, and rule as king. But what is it about these royal titles that give us hope? I'm going to go through them one by one right now. First of all, he shall be called Wonderful. The name Wonderful comes from the root word wonder, which means to have a sense of awe. And he is wonderful because he is both God and man. He is overwhelming. Love is wonderful. His presence is wonderful. His faithfulness is wonderful. Do you know anyone who can be faithful all the time without fail? He is wonderful because he was born of a virgin. He is wonderful because of his humility and his meekness. He is wonderful because Satan could not tempt him. Herod could not kill him, and sin did not overtake him. He is wonderful because of the transfiguration and the many miracles. He is wonderful because he died for all, and the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom, which symbolized our access to the Father. 
He is wonderful because of the resurrection and because of his ascension. He is wonderful because he is seated at the right hand of the Father waiting for his return. This is Advent. This is what we are waiting for, for his return. He is wonderful because his spirit lives in us. He is the model of faithfulness, and we should be in awe of what Christ has done for us. So after each name, I have a question for you. For, so my question to you this morning, Mill City, this Advent season, how might God increase your sense of wonder and awe for who he is? Secondly, he shall be called Counselor. He has sound wisdom and could be counted on for guidance. In Proverbs 8, 14, it says, Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. Anyone who's had the privilege of good counsel by someone that you trust, or if you've been to a good counselor, you know how important it is to have sound wisdom from someone who cares about your welfare. In Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesus, without a doubt, is trustworthy, and he can be counted on for great counsel in all areas of your life, no matter where you are. If you have questions about your career, or your family, or where you live, or even your mission, God will give you counsel. So my question to you, Mill City, is this Advent, where in your life do you need to seek God's guidance? Thirdly, he will be called Mighty God. He's going to show his strength, endurance, and power, not just a little power, but all power, because he can do something, things that no one else can do. He can do it through his miracles, by speaking calmness over a storm. How many of us can say, be still, and a, a calm is going to come? But he can say, be still, and calm will come over the storm. Or deliverance to a demonic man, or touching the eyes of the blind. He will show his power throughout his life, his death, and his resurrection. My question to you, Mill City, this morning is, this Advent, where in your life do you need God's strength when you feel weak? Fourthly, he should be called Everlasting Father. It's because Jesus, we can have everlasting life. In Hebrews 9, 12 through 15, it says, he did not enter, meaning Christ, by means of blood, by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those are ceremonially unclean, sanctifying them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, Mill City, how much more than will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve, we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ 
is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance now that he has died a ransom to set them free and the sins committed under the first covenant. He not only provides eternal inheritance, but he's also faithful, loving, compassionate father who was always present. There's no need to worry about a father who is absent, uncaring, or unavailable. So my question to you this morning, Mill City, this Advent, how might you draw close to God the perfect parent? Fifthly, he shall be called Prince of Peace. And I know peace is something we could all use right now because there's such a stark contrast between the chaos and the rule of Ahaz versus Jesus the Messiah, who characterizes the opposite with calm in the midst of anxiety when everything seems so out of control. Christ has come to establish his kingdom of peace. And we know that we have been redeemed, hallelujah, by the blood of the Lamb. And because of that redemption story, we have hope. And because of that hope, he gives us peace. So my question to you, my last question, Mill City, this Advent season, where in your life do you need to ask God for peace? As we celebrate Advent, remember the covenant-keeping God that we serve has been faithful throughout prophecy in Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, he can deepen your wonder, offer you discernment, bring strength when you are weak, offer perfect love and peace. Our invitation is just to trust the character of God we see in this story. He has shown his character through the many times as we wait for his coming, as we wait and we anticipate his coming. I'm going to call the worship team up. You guys got to know, Jesus loves us so, so much that he would rather die than be without us in eternity. He would rather leave perfection, come as a baby, delivered by a teenage mother, raised by an adopted dad. He would be rejected before he was out of the womb. You remember there was no room in the inn. He would begin his life, the humblest of places, being born in a stable, placed in a feeding trough, visited by shepherds who were seen as the lowliest of people. He would flee with his parents to another country because King Herod was going to track him down and take him out. What a way to begin life on earth, to spend most of his time in obscurity, and the last three years of his life to be rejected, to be misunderstood by his closest friends, beaten, scourged, spit upon, mocked, to hang on a cross, suffer a brutal death for the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, 
for our selfishness, for our addictions, for our pride, for our indulgences, our hate, our prejudice, our unforgiving hearts, our abuse, and the list goes on and on. We serve a covenant-keeping God who is always, always faithful and came so that we, we might have life more abundantly and live eternally with him. Yet we know we are not that different from King Ahaz or the Israelites who sometimes want to do things their own way or look for others to be allies, not realizing the oppression, despair, and the destruction it brings. In a few weeks, we will exchange gifts with our family and our friends, but these wonderful and heartfelt gifts that cause us to shriek with joy, yes, I got what I wanted, and laughter, they're only going to satisfy us for a while. Hmm. And in the midst of all that, I challenge you to remember to seek after the one this season is about. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is King Jesus, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. As I said in the first service, as I was studying this and just thinking about all the prophecies, and I was so fascinated, and I'm like, that is so cool. You know, what happened in the Old Testament, you know, it was, came to fruition in the New Testament, and there were 300 and all these things that I'm learning, and I only gave you a snippet. And I'm like so excited about it, but literally, as I'm sitting there, I heard in my ear, but why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? It's hard. Truth be told, it's really hard to trust God. Yeah, yeah, we see this, and we see what he did. But can you trust him in your life today? Can you trust him with your family? Can you trust him with your future? That is what he's calling us to do. So I had an aha moment. Like, okay, yeah, I can preach this, but do I believe it? I believe it. God gave me some confirmation the next day. I believe it. So I challenge you with the questions that I raised earlier. What is God asking you to do this Advent season? Step into it because you can trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so faithful. You are so faithful. I just thank you, Lord, for who you are. Your consistency, the way in which you show your love to us. As I said, Lord, we don't see the big picture. We just see a frame at a time, which is why we are called to trust you. So I lift us up today that as we continue in this season of Advent, however you want 
to minister to us however you need to speak to us. I pray that our hearts would be open to you. Our minds would be open to what you want to teach us, Lord. Because you are faithful. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are a wonderful counselor. You are a Prince of Peace. You are an everlasting Father. Help us to do this, God. We can't do it on our own. So we trust you, Lord, with this season, thanking you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.